Hello. Welcome Hi. back to Verdad, Very Sad. Um, hello again to our person in Belgium. Hi. Hi. Hello to my mom and dad. Hello, and Julie. Hello, Russell. Anybody else listening? Hi, everyone. Um, Bienvenidos todos. Thank you. <laughs> uh, welcome all. So, uh, this week with my, um, my little kind of class experiment, um, kind of not a lot is happening. I'm introducing this new dynamic. It's going very slowly. Um, so... Uh, Peyton had this fun little idea. This is something she's been wanting to do for a little while, where we we talk about our, our newcomers, and specifically yeah. we're going to be talking about language. Um, our newcomers is sorry, the newcomers is a you could probably define this better than I can. Yeah. So a newcomer student is defined by our state as a student who has been in the United States for three or less years and who is learning English as an additional language. So basically. All the new arrivals um, to the United States to our school are enrolled in an English class, newcomer English, and then this additional period, uh, in- newcomer English lab, which yeah. we won't get into the we details into between the two, of that. Um, but um, we each teach a group of those students. Yes, exactly. Um, and most of those students are from Spanish-speaking countries. Yeah, the large um, majority. large majority. I think between the two of us. There's only two that do not, and I have both of them. Correct, yeah. Um, so, naturally, you, you know, you promised me at the beginning of the year, you said, you, we met, and you said, hey, you know, like, do you speak Spanish? And I said, no. And you said, you will. <laughs> and, very <laughs> bad. <laughs> I was right. Very, very sad. Or, I guess, very, just, very bad, very dad on that Very dad, very dad on that one, yeah. Um, and, uh, so, I think... Uh, I, I didn't believe you at all. Oh, well. I didn't believe you at all. I was like, whatever. I've tried to learn languages in the past. It's never worked. And and here we are naming our podcast Very Dad, Very Sad. Um, I mean, what is it like? Necessity is the mother of mention? Yeah, Necessity like is the that. mother of language. Exactly. Um, so so I've been learning Spanish for a, a, a short little while now, I guess, since, mm-hmm. since about August. Yeah. Um, in an immersion kind of context. In an immersion kind of context, and I've been I've been picking up on on a decent amount, and the kids say that my progress is good. It's really good. Um, and you know, it's kind of hard to measure exactly like how well do you know a language? Language is kind of this very amorphous thing, but like if somebody's talking to me directly, and I can kind of ask them questions, I can usually parse out what they want or what they're trying to say, and I can usually convey what I want to say. Um, I find both of those things to be true. So, I want you to picture that it is today. You think okay. you can do that? <laughs> I think I can picture today in my head. You think you can picture today? Very well. Today we went on a field trip uh, to, uh, I guess it's just called the Mecha Conference yes. or something. Mm-hmm. Which is supposed to be this kind of uh, conference where we take kind of a bunch of uh, Hispanic uh, students and they have presentations in both English and in Spanish. Mecha specifically... Focusing on like Latino and Chicano identity. Okay. Just letting you know. Okay. So I was slightly off base there. That's okay. (laughs) But specifically Latino and Chicano? Yes. Okay. Um, But there's a lot of Spanish that happens. And and so we go into this. It's just 140 in the afternoon. We've already had somewhat of an exhausting day. (laughs) Definitely. Trying to wrangle a bunch of teenagers on a college campus. Yeah. And um, the, the speaker is doing this entire presentation in Spanish. And I'm excited because, kind of by chance, I had gone to like the only two English-speaking like 
presentations that day mm-hmm. you know like there'd, there'd been a bunch there'd been like what like eight ten or something yeah and like i'd somehow we'd managed to get to the only two english ones and so i'm excited to like really kind of see like what my spanish can do and i'm sitting in there and i cannot understand a fucking thing that's happening <laughs> <laughs> i cannot understand a thing that is happening even with the visuals even with the visuals i've seen this presentation before <laughs> <laughs> and i cannot understand what's happening um and it was it was it was a little bit humbling. Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go in with like a ton of arrogance exactly. I knew that there was going to be a lot of words I didn't get, but like I really didn't understand it. Um, and and I guess I don't know. It's interesting because we know our kids, yeah, more or less go through this, and and we know that our kids, while they're definitely improving in their English, have their moments where they're just sitting in class. And just everything's going over their head. For sure, especially when they first... I mean, we get them when they first arrive, right? Yeah, You're just yeah. kind of thrown into this context. You get them when context. they first arrive. <laughs> yeah, and they're just kind of like, excuse me, what? Um, but yeah, and, and, and in fact, if, if you want to get a feel for what this like, this is like, I would challenge you to go onto YouTube and find like an hour lecture in a language that you're like learning to speak. Or, or even a language you just don't know if you want to get the full experience. Mm-hmm. And I challenge you to listen to that whole thing without looking at your phone. Because I got to say, <laughs> I failed that multiple times today. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was like, it's hard. Very difficult. Um, but it kind of got me thinking, and this is what I really want to explore this episode, which is this question of, like, what is language? And more specifically, uh, what does it do? Um, so I would like to argue that language shapes the way we think. Um, and this has been kind of studied, and we'll, yeah, we'll reference that, that in a bit. it's been proven. I don't even think you have to um, think it. But I, th- I think it, it shapes the way we think in, in maybe p- ways people don't anticipate it. And one of, one of the most interesting things to me about this is the B and V in Spanish. Yes. Um, for those of you who don't know, Maybe you're living in Belgium, and, <laughs> and, and you don't come across a lot of, like, uh, 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 Mexican-Spanish speakers. I don't yeah, know if it's the same. We should clarify Spain. that yeah. we primarily deal with, like, Latin American yeah. uh, Spanish. So Castilian yeah, Spanish is, is very yeah, different. It, it's probably very different. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, Belgium. Um, <laughs> but so for those of you who are unaware, uh, if, if you speak Latin American Spanish for your whole life, and then you're introduced to English you often have a very difficult time understanding the difference between B and V. Very much so. Um, and uh, my parents came into my classroom the other day, and just for fun, I gave them like a couple words to help one of my newcomers just pronounce correctly. And of course I threw uh, base and vase at them. Oh, so fun. I, so I, I gave my dad this little post-it note that had base and vase on it, and I said, you know, go up to this student and make sure they're pronouncing it correctly. And uh, so he says, all right, base, vase. And she says, base, base. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And so if he does the natural thing that anybody does in that situation where he says, no, base and vase. And yeah. she says, base, base. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and she's really trying. This is a really good student. Yeah. Um, but she, she just can't get it. And, and this goes back and forth a couple times, much to my amusement. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad kind of like looks at me in in a little bit of confusion and like, he doesn't quite know where to go from here, um, which is partially my fault because I kind of just threw him in the deep end there. (laughs) Um, 
but uh, so I, 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 I kind of give my own little explanation to this kid. And then I turn to my dad and I say, you know, the, the issue isn't that you're like not enunciating clearly enough. The issue is that she can literally not hear it. Yeah. She literally cannot hear the difference. I have to physically explain to kids what mm-hmm. they need to do in their mouth. Mm-hmm. Like with V, I have to tell them you need to put your bottom lip underneath your front teeth. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I've been able to really explain it to them because you're right. The sound isn't doing it for them. You need to go into the mechanics of how that mm-hmm. sound is made. What's What's worked for me is telling them that it's a vocalized F. Mm. So you say like, you know, so so I, I'll use like B and P. So mm-hmm. P is is not vocalized. You get this. And B is the vocalized version of that same lip movement. So your lips do the same thing, but and I'll kind of they can they can hear that difference. Maybe I like honestly I'll have their like put their hand up against my throat so they can hear feel that like there's vibrations there when it's B. I've done that. And then I'll do the same with F and V. I'll go and then you know, and that seems to help. Yeah, maybe you can try that. It's actually the same with S and S, oh. in case in case they can't pronounce Z. I will. Um, I will give that a go. Yeah, I've had decent success with the yeah. like mouth mechanic, mouth, but that yeah. sounds like a good idea. But, I have definitely had them touch my throat to like yeah. feel a vibration though before. I'm glad I'm not weird for that. No, I mean you have to do what you have to do. Like you have to communicate. This uh, is important. It's... Um and and so 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 VV is is an, is a good one. I also had a, a newcomer. Uh, ask me about the difference between lost and lust yeah yeah we did the difference between beach and bitch this week Ah. and that was very very challenging sounds very educational i mean it was because we were reading a story with a beach and basically they all said bitch on accident (laughs) and so you have to like i can't get them into a situation where they're like asking where the beach is and they go up to yeah. someone and they ask where the bitch is, right? Where like, the bitch is at. This is a, yes, this is an important thing to clarify. They so will not find the playa. We, yeah, we played, um, we, we played with that this week. And mm-hmm. that's a very common yeah. clip. Um, lost and lust. Yeah, yeah. So, so lost and lust. And, and this particular vowel sound, I think it's called a schwa, is very difficult for me to explain. I have not found a good way to explain. Me neither. Ah uh, versus a. Uh. If there's a linguist in the room. If, if there's a linguist. I took a class maybe, maybe in linguistics. in Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> too, much, too much pressure. I think we're putting too much pressure on the Belgian person. I know. They're very I think lovely. we're overwhelming the Belgian person. You're doing the great. They can okay, just. thank you. We're good. Maybe we'll lean on Ecuador for that one. Thank you, Ecuador. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, 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 so I'm going over with this student, lost versus lust. And, and. We're going back and forth, and I'm doing exactly what my dad did with this other kid, where I'm just going lost, lust, mm-hmm. lost, lust, because yep. I cannot find the difference. I, I like, like maybe my mouth is like a quarter of an inch more open for one than the other, but like I really can't find the difference. And he just looks at me and he says, "It's the same sound." <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's the same sound. And the more I'm playing around with it, the more I'm agreeing with him. Yeah, <laughs> the more I'm agreeing with him, and I really, I really just can't can't find um like the actual sound that or how to describe it um that's so much of this job my friend once gave me this very interesting study where he said um 
there was they, they they gave a bunch of people and a bunch of food credits like 10 jars of peanut butter and asked them to order them in terms of like worst to best oh okay um so the i love peanut butter how can i get in on this exactly so the food critics all put it in like you know one to ten order or whatever okay would you like to guess what the people who were not food critics did with theirs do you think it was the same or do you think it was different do you think it was vastly different i don't know that's a very good question i think it was probably different i think people probably who are not food critics probably prefer the peanut butter that they grew up with no, it was the exact same. Really? It was the exact same. Interesting. The difference is that the food uh, the food critics were able to explain why they chose that order. Oh. The I mean, food critics had the language to describe it. Um, very which smart. I think is very interesting. Um, and so, you know, when you ask a normal person, like, why did you put this peanut butter over there? They're like... I like that one better. I liked it better, you know, yeah. and and they, they didn't go any further, but the food critics were like, oh, well, it was like creamy on the undertaste of the blah, 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 blah. Mm. I'm not a food critic. Yeah, whatever it is they um, say. <laughs> the texture. But, the balance of flavors. Um, but I think that's what a lot of our job is with language itself. Right. Is finding the language to describe the language. Which um, is sort of <clears throat> like the verbal version of metacognition. Mm-hmm. Did you know... That I cannot roll my R's. I did know that about you. And yeah. did you know that I also cannot roll my R's? Yeah. Here's what it sounds like when I roll my R's. Okay, you go. <sighs> That's so much more improved than mine, which is just... Oh. Like, what I tend to do is I tend to do a very guttural, like, double D sound. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm going to say, like, like, perro, like, dog, I'll mm-hmm. be like, perro. Like, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd put a D in it just because I can't do it. In fact, I had many, many students over the years and Spanish teachers try to get me to do it. And, and most recently last year, this was like month five of this particular group of newcomers trying to teach me how to roll my R's and I'm in the middle and I'm just going, you know, making nonsense sounds. And finally, one of my newcomers goes, stop, everyone, stop, stop, stop. And he looks at me and he goes, maestra, you cannot do it. It is okay. You can stop trying now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just, I can't do it. Apparently there are native speakers that can't do it. Mm. Um, Takes all this. That does make me feel better. Our family engagement facilitator said that her neighbor in Mexico mm-hmm. cannot roll her R's. She's born and raised there. So I did feel better about feel better about that. But <laughs> yeah, you. can't roll my R's. And neither but, can you. Yeah, neither can I. Mine, mine sounds... Yours is much more passable than mine, though. What, here's, here's the difference. The difference between yours and mine is... Uh, my mom thinks that I can. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, to probably most English speakers, it sounds like I can. Yes. But to my students, they say, what are you doing? <laughs> One student in particular says, you sound like an animal. <laughs> you sound like an animal who's growling. You yeah. don't sound like you're rolling your arms. Oh, man. And actually, my favorite part of this interchange, I've been like, I've been really trying to get this down. You really have. I like, you, like, we'll be walking around together, and you'll just hear me, like, just, <laughs> like, trying, trying to get it to sound natural, and I just, I can't get it for the life of me. Yeah. Um, but, um, and so I have, I have this one student who this is kind of, like, a particular joke with. Yeah. Because he, he he's, like, come up to me while I've been, like, doing it at my desk. And he's like, what are you doing? You sound like an animal. Um, and uh, and so I'll ask him, like, what does it sound like? Or, like, how do you how do, you do it right? And then he does it right. Hello? Oh, sorry. We took a slight pause there. Yeah. Audience probably doesn't know that. We're back. <laughs> We're back. Um, I always kind of forget exactly where I was on. But anyway, this uh, I ask him to kind of demonstrate for me the proper technique. 
and he doesn't. And I wish I could tell you what that sounded like, but I can't. Our listener from Ecuador probably knows what probably. it sounds like. <laughs> um, and, you know, he crushes it. And, and then we go back to talking. And then later I make a joke about me not being able to do it. And what's interesting is he imitates the sound I made perfectly. Oh. He was able to say, like, like he knew what, like, muscles in his mouth to move to make it sound like the way I was doing it. Like, he has the knowledge of how I was doing it incorrectly and was able to emulate that, probably because he has the language. Like, he has the the ingrained understanding of how your mouth is supposed to be. Just, yeah. Just like the way I'm able to, with the other students, say bass and bass with no problem. <laughs> you know, it's not difficult for me because I can hear the difference. Yeah. Um, and I'm able to emulate uh, their mistake. And... And so, so this extends to more than just being able to hear things, um, because because so far we've only talked about like what we're able to hear, but this also this is also um, with colors. I think mm. I think in Europe it could be somewhere else. They have um, a different name for like light blue. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's just like it's like it's just like a different color. Really? Yeah, and so when you ask, like, Americans, mm-hmm. where's the next color? Like, imagine a color gradient, mm-hmm. you know, just like a rainbow, basically. And you ask Americans to, like, point out each color, they'll basically say, like, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Mm-hmm. But if you ask, it might not be Europe, but we're going to say it's Europe. Okay. We can be corrected later. We can be corrected later. We're going to say it's Europe. If you ask a European to do it, they'll say, like, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, other word, mm-hmm. uh, wherever I was in the indigo-violet, you know. Mm. Also, indigo-violet's kind of an interesting split. Yeah, I wouldn't normally, I guess if I had a color grade, I mm-hmm. would do indigo-violet, but like I'm normally just like a red, orange, yellow, green, red, right. purple. Yeah. Um, and so it, it also kind of affects what people see. You know, you ask an American, like, why didn't you name light blue and blue as different? And they'll say, because it's just blue, it's not a new color. Right. Um, Similarly, there was a study done uh, with with some Native American... I wish I, like, had the study in front of me, then I would sound, like, more official and less, like, I'm spitballing. But I remember it very specifically, because it was very interesting to me, and I looked into it for a little while, Um, where uh, they, they sat, like, an American and a Native American, like, at the same table. And at the table, there was two arrows pointing in opposite directions. Okay. Right? And uh, they said, like, look at the table. And then they... And and maybe, like, one arrow was red and the other one was blue or something. Okay. And then they picked them up, they gave them to that person, and they flipped them around the table. So they're now facing 180 degrees just at the opposite wall. Okay. And they said, make the arrows face the same directions that they were facing before. And the Americans all put the, the red arrow to their right and the, the blue arrow to their left, just as they had seen it. Okay. But the, the Native Americans put the red arrow facing north and the blue arrow facing south. So for the Native Americans, the arrows didn't switch. Because the way that they conceptualized and the way that they talked about direction was by the cardinal directions. It wasn't by left and right. Oh. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's very interesting. I'd be interested to know like what tribal affiliation that person had because I mm-hmm. bet if you did it across mm-hmm. indigenous tribes, you might even get different 
answers. Oh, so. probably. Like, this yeah. was, like, a specific tribe. Mm-hmm. I, sorry, I, sorry again for not knowing the exact name. No, it's okay. I just think that that's even, <clears throat> like, it's interesting <clears throat> on that bigger level also. <clears throat> like, I wonder what it would be like in different communities of similar background. Lastly, on this point that I'll be talking on, um, there was, I think it might have been part of the same study. Um, they gave, uh, we're going to go with Americans again, because I'm just American-centric. Well, we Lo do live Ciento. here. Yeah. Um, they gave, this was certainly the side that I affiliated with. Um, they gave um, Americans uh, a bunch of photographs of various things. You had like uh, a letter in an envelope, a bowl in an apple, a flower in a vase, a snake in a cage, or a, not cage, a aquarium or whatever. Terrarium. Terrarium. And they asked them to sort them into different piles. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. And the Americans kind of, like, had this, like, hodgepodge of answers. Um, but the Koreans all sorted the same way. Wow, that's fascinating. Because they have a word for when something fits tightly in a cage and when something fits loosely. So letter in the envelope is a tight fit. Apple in a bowl is a loose fit. Oh, they have a word for they it. They have a word for it. Um, That's fascinating. And with that in mind, uh, I'd like to take a look at some ideas that our newcomers have kind of specific cultural or linguistic difficulties with that uh, they have kind of this trouble differentiating. And I'm going to kind of turn the the mic over here. Yeah, so I have been teaching newcomers for about five years now. four and a half. I've been teaching for almost six months now. <laughs> yeah. And there are definitely some ideas that I have had difficulty explaining and they have had difficulty internalizing that I think are not just necessarily culturally rooted, but also linguistically rooted. And the big one that comes up um, a lot is the difficulty with um, gendered versus non-gendered languages. Mm-hmm. So Spanish is a gendered language, so nouns have like a have a gender. So typically a noun ends in O, it's considered a masculine noun. A noun ends in A, it's considered a feminine noun. Mm-hmm. Feminine nouns are prefaced with a, with a I guess the, the pronoun an, la. An article, yeah. An article, thank you. The article la, and then masculine nouns are prefaced um, with the article el. Okay, so is the table um, a uh, is the table a boy or a girl? The table is it's la mesa, so la mesa. it's feminine. It's a girl, um, and it doesn't necessarily prescribe to what we would stereotypically consider to be masculine or feminine. So, for example, a dress is el vestido. A dress mm-hmm. is masculine, even though we would typically conceptualize of that as like a feminine article of clothing. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily follow like stereotypically uh, what we would think of, and this. Um, Concept doesn't exist in English. We don't have feminine versus masculine nouns. Our article is like the, right? Or the a, table, yeah. a chair. It doesn't change based on, like there isn't a gender, mm-hmm. um, a masculine or feminine uh, ascribed to our, our objects, um, at least not linguistically. Mm-hmm. And this is a very, you would think it would be easier, right? Because I'm telling them there's only one you have to remember, uh-huh. right? You don't have to do two, like el or la. You just have to do, like the. Sure. And it is not easier for them. It is challenging for them to understand that, like, the is for everything. Like, there isn't... Mm-hmm. The absence of that makes it more confusing for them to access the language. And the other thing that um, is really challenging 
as a result of that is explaining um, explaining this concept of um, of sort of how we view pronouns now in kind of our modern mm-hmm. age um, and how tied to their your identity they are. Um, at the conference today, they asked us to introduce ourselves with our pronouns, and none of yes. our newcomers, uh, they explained the directions of the English and Spanish, and none of our newcomers did that. It mm-hmm. is a foreign concept for them, linguistically and culturally. Mm-hmm. So I have a really hard time explaining to them that some people prefer, uh, some people's pronouns are, it's not a preference, some people's pronouns are they. Mm-hmm. And that's hard because initially I'm telling them that like eos mm-hmm. is they. And eos, the default of they is inherently masculine mm-hmm. in Spanish. Even if you have a group of like 10 women and one man, you're still going to use eos. You're still going to mm-hmm. use the masculine default. So even their word that is not necessarily for like a man or a woman is gendered in mm-hmm. that way. And so they is already kind of hard for them. Um, so I spent some time telling them initially, like, oh, when we want to refer to they, or like that group of people, them over there, we would use they. Um, which is which is a very interesting uh, kind of observation, because I remember when I was second grade, third grade, um, I had this realization. This was, this was a little bit before we had this kind of most recent wave of, of kind of, what would you call it, like pronoun awareness? yeah. Gender understanding, Gender maybe. understanding, maybe, yeah. Um, so so I was in, like, second grade and couldn't always tell when someone was a boy or a girl. And I realized that I could use they to my advantage. You know, I could. Mm-hmm. I realized I didn't have to gender. And, and I so I saw, as a native English speaker, they as this, like, workaround. Yes. Um, which is interesting that they're now having kind of, like, the inverse reaction of just, like... Yeah. I need to know. (laughs) And in English, we use, despite what people may have you believe, we use they as a singular pronoun all the time, right? If you're at your home and you had a party and you look around and there's a jacket on the floor, you're not going to say he or she left their jacket. You're going to say, oh, someone left their jacket. Yeah. Um, So it's it's not something that is totally foreign to us linguistically, even outside of Mm -hmm. the gender identity piece. I guess it's, it's also interesting that we have, I guess... And this is what you've been saying. But just like gender is only for people and, you know, for them, yes. gender is is everywhere. It's, Correct. it's not literally like like Americans think of gender as like, oh, we're so ingrained in gender. And you're like, we have all these gender roles and gender stereotypes and so on and such forth. Boy should do this. Girl should do that. But like, it's not as omnipresent still as it is in Spanish. Yes. You're taking away all their genders. What are you doing? I am. Those <laughs> those pesky people taking away all the genders. Those newcomer teachers taking I away know, our genders. Pretty much. And so um, this leads to a really challenging conversation about, you know, you might encounter a person who uses they as their pronoun. And they have a really hard time with that just linguist like getting over the linguistic piece Mm -hmm. is really challenging and then some of it is cultural like a lot of our uh, newcomers come from very rural areas Um, a lot of this is new information for them like the Mm -hmm. the concept of gender identity and it being different from your like sexuality or sexual Mm -hmm. preferences is new for them when I introduce it Mm -hmm. and it has been every year Um, and 
I sort of, I struggle with how best to explain it because I feel like most of the times I'm doing really well and I have them with me, right? And they're like, okay, I'll raise them sometime. There's a one person and they're going to use they and that's going to be great for them. Like I have them on this role. And then occasionally I'll get like this year, I'll get, um, I'll get someone who was like, okay, so like we could ask that person. And I was Mm. like, yes, you can. And like, you should, that's a good idea. Um, and so I'm feeling like it's going really well, right? And then we get to the end, and there's always one kid who's like, so, but is that person a man or a woman? <laughs> and, and the rest of the kids are like, yeah, what's with that? And so it's, I think that, like, it's, it's definitely cultural, but the linguistic base mm-hmm. of it makes it, it's just an even bigger mm-hmm. hurdle to get over. Because like you said, gender is so inherent in their language it's like the idea of something being absent of a linguistic gender is a Mm -hmm. strange concept Mm -hmm. and then to put on like to 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 then take it to the 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 next space of like and this is the implication for identities that you may interact with is a whole like, a whole new world for them. <laughs> One month ago, I was looking around and I could have told you the gender for every for yes. every noun I saw. Correct. Now you're taking away all of my nouns, which are extensions of people in a way, extensions yeah. of gender, I guess. My whole environment has changed. You're telling me that those extensions, the, the the original source no longer exists and is no longer applicable. It any, doesn't. Any extension thereafter of gender theory has got to be just like. Just yeah, the, like like me looking at differential calculus, like it's just gotta it, be just. It is sort of like that. miles above any comprehension, just from where you're starting from. Yeah, and it's a really important, like it's really very important to mm-hmm. talk about, and so it's this thing that we have to keep coming back to and coming back to, and I have to keep growing in my ability as an educator <laughs> to try and communicate this, and it's. I think another thing that makes it challenging for me is I grew up in a queer household. Mm -hmm. So, like, the idea that someone would not have a gender is not a foreign... has never been a foreign concept to me as a Mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. Um, Or that someone's um, gender, like, identity... uh, Their gender expression might change over the course of their life. Not foreign concepts for me. Mm -hmm. So, I think I then have to, like, kind of take it out of my own context, too. Mm -hmm. And try to understand that, like, it is so, so... It is more foreign to them than... I could begin to understand, you know. Mm-hmm. Have you ever like slammed a door and then like apologized to the door? <laughs> have you met me? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I absolutely have. <laughs> I would apologize to objects all the time when I was younger, and it's it's this interesting thing that I'm thinking about. Like, if I grew up Spanish, I probably would have like gendered the voice back in my head, so to speak. Oh, interesting. You know, like, but like, I never did. I never assigned a gender to like the the door even though i was apologizing to it and seeing it as this like personified like object or whatever i never gave it a gender and 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 it's just occurring to me now that like if i grew up speaking spanish that would have been obvious that i would have had even more of an identity in that very kind of niche uh circumstance yeah not, this is not to say that everybody who speaks spanish necessarily personifies every object <laughs> in their life it's just saying if i spoke spanish I know I personified objects. It would totally, it totally changes your worldview, this, this linguistic concept, I think. Um, Another thing that we really (laughs) run into linguistically with the newcomers that's a challenge is the lack of a formal tense. So in Spanish, there's this formal tense um, where you would use instead of like, tú is the informal way to say you. If you would like to be formal, you would say usted. 
And verbs are conjugated differently um, when you are using usted with someone than mm -hmm. versus you're using to. And it's a sign of respect. So you talk to typically people who are older than you, um, like your teachers, your parents, um, your, you know, your aunt or whatever. Like people, it's very important. It's a very important linguistic concept to them. It's a way of showing respect um, to another person. We don't have that in English. How are you is how you would address your teacher. It's how you would address your friend. Um, it's how you would, you know, you would say your call up your grandmother and you would say, hi, how are you? That is a very foreign thing for them also. They kind of, it stresses them, I've noticed. They're like, mm -hmm. if I go up to my teacher and I say, hi, how are you? That's not rude. And I'm like, no, it, no, it's not. And they're like, but then I can go to my friend and say, hi, how are you? And that's not rude. Like, no, it's not. It's totally, mm -hmm. it's totally polite in both instances. And they always are kind of like, but how do I make it politer for the teacher, <laughs> right? And it's like, how are you is very polite. There isn't, and so we kind of run into this problem where they feel, or I have noticed, I guess I'm not in their body. So it's like, I, I perceive that they're feeling kind of stress that they're not they don't they're not able to communicate the level of respect they have for that person mm -hmm. because of their understanding of how language is supposed to change and we have that a little bit in english right like you wouldn't go up to teacher and be like yo what's up so, but <laughs> yeah we don't have like a really like they have two in usted like they right. have entirely different words they have entirely different pronouns yeah they um, <laughs> which we just don't and so that mm -hmm is also a struggle for them because I think they feel like they don't know how to communicate the level of respect for individuals that they really want to. You know what's interesting? I mean, I mean, anybody who's new to a language notoriously does not talk in the classroom. But I wonder yeah. if there's that kind of like added level of like, I not only do I not know how to talk, I don't know how to talk respectfully, specific, like I don't know the right words to use. Right. Lord, I know we had the inverse problem with one of our students um, <laughs> where he kept saying the N-word, not realizing how bad it was. No, he had no idea. You know, he's, he's just, he just doesn't speak English. And, and I mean, you have to remember slurs are language specific. Yes. You know, I'm sure I've, I could say a slur in another language and have no idea. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, in America, I mean, everyone knows that word. And that's such a huge deal. Um, but you know, he hears it online or in his music friends says uh, it or something yeah. and he just has no conceptualization of like how bad that word is. Yeah. And it's not one that comes up in our classroom. Like it's not like we're Yeah. Out there saying that word yeah. we're not. Yeah, so. actually this is the story I started one of the other earlier episodes with. Was when yeah. he, he called up and he, he started saying like fool. And he was like, right. I'm so sorry. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't know. Because in his mind, that was... That was just as bad. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, no, so it's, it's interesting watching them be apprehensive about the, the, this lack of formal, but completely casual about, like, how bad the worst gets. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, with that in mind, I think, I think we're about done with this one. So, if you will. Vaya con Dios. Permanecer con Dios.